ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. The Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. Hey, Todd, how you doing, buddy? Good, Jeremy. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing doing pretty good. I'm feeling tired, but doing good. Yeah, I, I texted. I bet you're tired, um, based <laughs> on that photo. Good lord, that's every every single day. Wow. That's that's our sign load every day. Like I'm taking, I don't know, between 101 to 130 packages every single day. <laughs> it's like, oh man, oh. Like, you know, what's crazy though, is that because we've gotten so intentional with our process and every year we get better, um, like we're not like last night I worked till about seven, no, eight o'clock, but last year to get the same amount of bricks made, um, I was probably working to like 11 o'clock. You know, so we're getting better and it actually doesn't feel quite as bad as last year, but it's still an intense, like it's an intense lifestyle, man. Like, holy chingus. But how are things for you this week, this past week? Oh, it was a good week, you know. Um, started off with the 26th wedding anniversary. Yes, congratulations. That's a long time you've been on good behavior there, Todd. Well, I'm not so certain I've always been on good behavior. <laughs> yeah. At least not bad enough, you know, to provoke a, res- a, a nuclear response. Yeah. I'm like I'm like North Korea. <laughs> yeah. You know, just just enough to annoy you, but not as much to, you know, start the war again. Yeah. Right on. And then uh for after at, starting at 20 years to now, I try to do something really special for her every year. Um, like I got her a, a .999 solid silver, two pounds uh, heart. Oh, wow. Uh, one year. Uh, last year, I got her 25 ounces of silver because uh, she collects silver. Oh, okay. And that's her, that's her thing. Yep. So I got her 25 one-ounce silver coins. Oh, right on. And, you know, because silver wedding anniversary. Uh-huh. Ah, there you go. And, <laughs> I didn't uh, even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, I have one. But, oh, there uh, it is. <laughs> and then, uh, so this year, we've been talking about getting her a new vehicle, and she's been putting it off, putting it off, since her, you know, Kia imploded on her way yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I went out and bought her a, a Toyota 4Runner. Oh, wow. She saw it, liked it, and then I went and bought it. Right on. Yeah, that's a nice-looking rig. You sent me that picture there. Yeah, and, uh, the, the, you know, yeah, just raising the bar for all those men out there. <laughs> yeah, believe me, right. I've had a couple of our friends, the husbands, DM me going, Asshole. Yeah, no kidding. It's a good thing my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Why don't I get a car? <laughs> well, that's well, a 20- honey, he has to do the car. Have you seen him? 
you know, you've got me. No, you know. no, no. has got to deal with that, you know. That's funny. <laughs> you marry a troll, you get presents. <laughs> <laughs> I just just tell her, say, hey, that's 26 years. We're only, we'll be coming up to 21 next year. But that's cool, man. Right on. Yeah, and then uh, right after I did that, I found uh, uh, my local GMC dealer has a truck. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Now you have permission. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, she's been a- after me to do it anyway. Well, that's funny. When are you going to buy that truck? Yeah. Like, eh. And then while I was out, uh, after I bought the truck, I went and looked at some uh, furniture. I went to a furniture store. And because yeah. what I want for downstairs is a an original, real Chesterfield sofa. What does that mean? But trying to find one. Is it a brand? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And the originals are all English made, but there are some, there's a Chesterfield, actual Chesterfield manufacturer here now, but I want one from back in the day. And because they only get better with age. And anyway, is it just a manufacturer? Or is it a, like a particular style? Both. Oh, okay. And it says button tufted old fashioned sofas. Mm, yeah. There's one in every lawyer's office. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they're really they're they can be high end, and the ones nearest to me that are, you know, real genuine. Uh, Vintage Chesterfields are in Chicago, and I'd rather not go to Chicago again, yeah. ever. Yeah. But they want Chicago money for them. Mm. That's the point. Yeah. I know exactly what they're worth, depending on the age, the color, and all that stuff. Because I've been researching these things for the better part of 25 years. Uh, just waiting on us to get to the final house. Uh, and there's a place in... Uh, Nashville, this guy sells them out of his condo because he goes and looks for them, brings them back and sells them. And he wants, you know, reasonable money, you know, maybe 5% above uh, what I would consider norm. So it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't had one. He's, I think he's one of those COVID snowflakes. Mm. But, mm. well, he lives in a condo in Nashville. He's male, single. And it's all white industrial inside of his condo, so I'm pretty sure he's, you know, not my kind of man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it as far as that goes. That's between him and God, you know, not me. But Yeah. Um. So with, like, with all these signs, I mean, I'm doing tons of just repetitive manual labor. And so I listened to uh, this really good book, um, it's called The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideals Are Killing Common Sense by Gad Saad. Have you ever heard of this guy? No, but I know the concept. Yeah. Um, so anyways, this Gad Saad, he's, uh, I think he's a Canadian. Well, he lives in Montreal, and um, but he was a Lebanese Jew who had to flee Lebanon during the Lebanese Civil War. And then ended up moving to Montreal, 
he's got quite a bit of education. He's got his like PhD and I don't know. He's an evolutionary psychologist, which I mean, obviously that doesn't do much for me. Um, I believe in creation, but man, the, the way that he talks about things and he's actually a pretty interesting guy, like doesn't hold back, um, you know, out there like on social media, like crazy going after people. It's, oh man, this is a hilarious book. It's un, and he goes through like, like fact of the matter, like these events, that stories and the news that have happened. And it's unbelievable how insane things are. <laughs> and it basically the premise of this book is how academia, like the universities, all they are is, is, is like Petri dishes for, uh, extreme leftist ideals, you know? Uh, very, very interesting. That's why you may notice, like, uh, my name on my, you have to put in your name when you sign in. So I am trans-vaccinated. And that should work, shouldn't it, in in today's uh, postmodern era? Yeah, they just see the first four letters and then they couldn't argue. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not actually vaccinated, but I identify as a vaccinated person. Therefore, my truth is my truth. And you can't argue with me, so... Give me my vaccine passport, please. I might try this one out. <laughs> you know what they're doing in Alberta here? They've got billboards uh, stating that, don't worry, it's normal for young children to have strokes. They're actually putting billboards up saying, don't be surprised, this is normal. And now they have had those signs up for like a month. And now they're saying that everyone between the ages of 5 to 11 need to be vaccinated. And they're going to need to show proof of vaccinations from 5 to 12. Is that insane? Yeah. They're giving, like, you know one thing, this this is like, I mean, I'm not a scientist or anything, but from different things I read, you kind of pick things up. But from what I'm seeing is that this thing can actually be worse for young people than older people. Like, like young people are more likely to have blood clots from it than older people. Yes. The, the illness that you're trying to fight can be worse for old people and the vaccine to fight it can be worse for younger people. It's always been that way. Yeah. But you know, let's not use, you know, a hundred years of vaccine research to back that up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. There they, are certain uh, vaccines that were created for children, you know, to be actually given to children, mm-hmm. and they were made safer for children. That's why they have to get boosters. So you're leading up to it, right? Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of one big dose, you're getting, you know, a little bit. And then, uh, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. All right, now you're good. Uh, they, and But they were designed that way from the ground up. And through years and years of testing and making sure and verifying, like I'm not an anti-vaxxer, right? I mean, the chicken pox, I mean, they spent over 20 years developing that before they started giving it to everybody saying, this is, you know, you need to get this. And it's like, sure, cool. There's, you know, there's no proven adverse effects whatsoever of that. Uh, MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella, like all those vaccines, I, I get all those, right? And I've gotten all those. Uh, I know there's crazy people that think uh, autism is from the MMR, but that's that's entirely unfounded, right? Um, the thing is, there are side effects to this COVID vaccine, this MNR, you know, and it's it's not like the, they'll be done 
the first round of clinical trials in 23. Cool. I'll look at it at that point in time and see. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to get it. I might be one of these guys that never, ever gets it. I'm feeling strongly that way because if you have to coerce me and twist my arm and, and try to manipulate me into getting it, what's going on? You know, it's like one of those stickers. They imagine a vaccine so safe you have to be manipulated into getting it for a disease so dangerous you have to be tested to know if you have it. You know, this like the fact of the matter is COVID still isn't as deadly as the common flu is. And that's a fact. That's a fact of the matter. Like you look at the 2017, 2018 flu deaths in the United States of America. It was insane. Way more than COVID. <laughs> like way more. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Drink that Kool-Aid, kids. Chug a lug. Stay scared. You're easier to control. Wow, we just went hard into that, didn't we? I did. I was about to say, we need to change our name to COVID Soup. But yeah, that's right. The COVID We were going to talk soup. about um, the dumbest thing you've seen people save money or spend money on. Yes. And you know, I, as like a, as entertainment, a hobby, not just one-time purchase. Okay. Uh, and I want to add to that as a follow-on, the dumbest, just brainless, dumb, but successful um, um, social media stuff. Okay. Do you got your uh, first thing? What? <sighs> okay. So I just, I just Googled uh, dumb hobbies, and <laughs> so this is a list of the 10 strangest hobbies. Do you know what number 10 is? Podcasting. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Mooing. What? A hobby. Mooing. People that make cow sounds is a hobby. <laughs> oh. A competitive dog grooming. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know so how what, what dumb you that is? They don't have a TV show about it. Competitive dog grooming. Really? Yep. That's funny. Well, they got one here I disagree with. Uh, soap carving. Is They have listed number six. I When I was a kid and I wanted to learn how to carve wood, my dad would give me bars of Irish spring and said, carve with these first. I don't know, you don't have grain in wood, but it kind of teaches the basic techniques. This is when I was like five or six. I'd, I'd carve these little figurines out of soap. So I disagree. It's not a, it's not a bizarre hobby. It's practical. I know, you know, thousands of... 19th century uh, sailors and prisoners that would disagree as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny. Milk bottle collecting. That's a, they call that a strange hobby. I would agree. Train spotting. Yeah. Like literally just looking for trains. Oh, I feel that way about um, <laughs> airplane spotters, the tail number people. Yeah. I, oh. I'm like, really? Uh, my boys, uh, my boys have those trackers just so they can know every time my dad's flying. Oh no! I, was, I mean, people that sit outside the, the fence of an airport or a yeah. military base, you know, trying to you know collect tail numbers. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, so they just write them down to see how many they can get. Yeah. Oh wow, that's crazy. How many of what kind, and then they swap them, and they do all kinds. <laughs> that's funny. How about number three, naval fluff collecting? 
<laughs> I like that one. <laughs> There's a picture of this, these jars. It's like navel fluff, 94 to 2000. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I wonder what that would smell like. Well, for the American audience, we're talking Lent, people. Belly button Lent. Yeah. It gross. It's <laughs> like you... earwax collecting. <laughs> Come on. How, okay, what are your thoughts on this? How about toenail collecting? No. <laughs> Do you want to know something truthful? I, I, I'm collecting. You have a jar, don't you? <laughs> Film container. I can't. I, I I don't know. I there's probably stuff you shouldn't ever say in public. But I'm I'm literally collecting my toenails because my nails grow incredibly fast. Like if I don't trim my toenails like two to three times a week, I cut through my socks like legit. Uh, I must have you know a decent hearty amount of protein because my nails are strong as can be. Like I don't break nails. I can use my nails to pry things. Uh, I don't have long fingernails. I don't like that at all. Uh, they get in my way when I'm doing stuff, but like my toenails, literally, I have to three times a week. Sometimes I'll sometimes five days a week I have to cut them. Like they just grow. I'm like, oh man, all this, all this material, so I'm saving it. Isn't that disgusting? It's gross. You probably think different. You think different of me now, don't you, Todd? <laughs> it's worse than the mayonnaise. <laughs> no, no, no. Mayonnaise is still worse. Yeah, just liking mayonnaise is worse than that, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. If, if Wait, you uh, told me. That one that there was a hobby about eating belly button lint. It's still better than mayonnaise. <laughs> I was making a sandwich yesterday. I put some mayonnaise on. I was like, ah, oh, good old Todd. But you're like, I should send him a picture of this. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, that's interesting. So, what, what's your weirdest expensive hobby or something? I don't know if it's a hobby. I don't. I don't think it actually. But it's a societal trend. Uh, buying an electric car. Yeah. To save the environment, right? Because do you, do you know that it's unicorn fairy dust that powers them? Well, whatever. I'm, I'm waiting on the uh, unicorn fart fuel cell mm-hmm. technology. Is that not what Teslas are? <laughs> no. Yeah. So you know what I Tesla heard? is brain fart technology. Yeah. We didn't talk about Teslas last week, did we? No. And... I want to hit on if you know anything about this Tesla telephone system coming out. I've never heard of it, but it obviously makes sense. I mean, they got satellite, right? Yeah, and now they're. I mean, it's coming out with an iPhone competitor. Oh, oh it's gonna be a game changer. Oh, like everything else Tesla did. Yeah. So you know, so far he has like maybe one thing that's a real game changer, a real game changer, and that's his internet. Yeah, but even then, I've heard it's still not entirely reliable. Well, oh no, post beta, he went and changed it. Oh really? On on all the beta testers, yeah. Oh okay, awesome. I might look into that then, because uh, I'm not happy with our internet. It is so it's it's stupid. Um, I've heard. So I was listening to a podcast, and two of the guys own Teslas. They say it's funny because when you buy a Tesla, and it's kind of a known thing that nobody talks about, the fit and the finish of the actual vehicle itself is pretty much horrendous. Like they say, like even the Toyota Corolla has a better fit and finish to the way the doors close. One of the guys on this podcast I was listening to went to roll up his window and the window came out of the tracks and fell out. Just literally window fell out of the car. Almost like you can tell that uh, he... uh, 
when Elon went to Italy and bought some uh, uh, designers out from under Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, and brought them to, hey, let's, you know, make Tesla's more, you know, sexy looking, more, you know, mm-hmm. that they brought their ability to design fit and finish pretty well, huh? Yeah. The fit and finish on a Ferrari is just disgusting. Really? Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Like they, like they say, so when you buy Tesla, you are getting like cutting edge technology, like the latest and greatest in, you know, electronic automobile technology. And he said, it's funny because they're so far ahead, but they say, if you want like a really nice car that's electric, you have to buy like a Mercedes or a BMW. Yeah. You know, and they say that I didn't, I didn't know that about that. And they say like they're rattly down the road. They say once they get like a couple, you know, couple 30,000 miles on them, they just start rattling and falling apart. And they just say they're very poorly made from a mechanical perspective. They're a poorly made vehicle. And I'm like, that shocks me because everyone I've ever known that's had a Tesla has been so hoity-toity and so special that I couldn't imagine them even standing like you know when you're driving around and all of a sudden a car starts rattling or something and it drives you nuts like that's something that hoity-toity people just don't put up with you know well i was watching a <clears throat> youtube video about a guy who used to work for tesla um because he went to work for them specifically to learn how to work on them mm. you know the electronics the programming that stuff yep because he's into really fast cars, but he's also has never owned uh, an internal combustion engine. It's all been electric. Mm. And he wants to make, you know, like ultra fast uh, Tesla. Mm-hmm. And he finally bought the new, latest and greatest Tesla, put it in his garage, and immediately went to work um, reprogramming, changing components. Because he wants his, the fastest Tesla record. Right. Mm, yeah. He has a phone call from Tesla. You you can't do that. Yeah. What? Yeah, you can't do it. Um, you've removed these components. You're trying to reprogram proprietary software. But I bought this car. Eh, it's like an iPhone. You don't own the inside. Yeah. And they came and took his car. Mm-hmm. I, this is America. You can't do that. But I mean, they did. Yeah, and you know, they say like this is unprecedented because any uh, car seller here, like you buy a car, uh, what, there's actually a name for that. Like you probably know it's like a right to work on my yeah, property. right to repair stuff. Yeah, right to repair and all that. Um, and I know John Deere's getting into trouble with that right now, but uh, but see, the way that Tesla gets around it is that it, the it's kind of one of the technicalities in the way it was written is that any car sold at a dealership, Uh, that dealership has to provide the specialty tools to the person who owns their vehicle so they can do it themselves. And it was just a little tiny thing with the way it was written. And Tesla doesn't have dealerships. And that's how they've gotten around it. They said, nope, this isn't a car that's sold at a dealership. This is a special thing. This isn't like a regular car. You're not allowed to work on it. Like they say, if you even want to get new wheels, like something happens and you need a new wheel. They say it's unbelievable the grilling that you go through. Uh, this is one YouTube video. This guy wanted something happened. I forget what it is. It's a small interior component, like a little 
dash panel or something. Didn't even have to do with like any airbags or anything like that. I think something happened. You need to replace it. And he said it was unreal. And it's like, no, we have to bring it and leave it with them and this. And he said, no, no, this is a little piece of plastic. I can just pop in. No, no, you can't do it. And they wouldn't give it to him. They wouldn't set, like give him. You can't go buy Tesla parts. It's crazy. I know John Deere's going through problems with that too, right? All equipment manufacturers are. Yeah. They're all embroiled in the same thing. And they're going to lose. Yeah. And you know, there's it's a It's just certain... when are they going to lose? Yeah. And there's a certain sense where, like, I sort of get where they're coming from, right? Because the good old days where, you're, okay, you could mechanically diagnose something are long gone. And everything is getting so technologically advanced from the computer standpoint that you do need like $10,000 software to see what's going on in your car nowadays, well, it's, right? It's not just that. Uh, we'll, we'll take a John Deere dozer, just a dozer. If you change a hydraulic flow regulator, it's a, a it's technically a mechanical part, mm-hmm. but it's tied into the brain, so it has to be calibrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can calibrate it using the dash monitor in the dozer. Yeah. John Deere has that function turned off. So you have to pay for a hundred dollar an hour service call with their little scan tool. Mm-hmm. And all that all that scan tool is to program these or calibrate these parts is the dash panel console, but in a mobile form. Yeah. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, another guy I watch, he's a certified heavy equipment mechanic. He just doesn't work for John Deere, so they won't let him like loan out the or rent out the box. Yeah, and they won't un, you know, turn on the console in the dozer. That's crazy. Yeah, and he's like, I didn't even buy it from John Deere. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. and so. He went from being all pro-union. Once it affected him, now he's all, oh, no, we need this right to repair stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, once a union, you know, sticks it in you, you don't like them anymore. Yeah. So. It, it's, a, it's quite a predicament because I, I, I understand the manufacturer's standpoint, right? Like this stuff is literally way more complicated. Uh, and you, so you think about it, if everything was accessible and it's like you buy the tractor and you get the interface to program it, you don't know what you're doing, right? And most farmers, like this, this is, I mean, I know farmers. I grew up knowing farmers. They're not, a farmer is different than a mechanic. Oh, right? I know. And, that, and like I told my wife when, well, just before we were married, she bought her first car. I helped her find it. I bought it. It's like $600 Honda Accord. And I said, here's the deal. I said, I'm going to do all the maintenance on this thing. But the moment your dad touches it, I'm out. And she goes, why? I said, because he's a farmer. He said, what does that have to do with anything? I said, here's how it goes. If something breaks down on a farmer, it's when he's in the middle of a very important task. He's either seeding or he's harvesting. And during that intense season, it's not about doing a proper repair, waiting for the right parts to come in. If you can fix it with duct tape or bale twine, you do it. You, If you can limp it through the harvest, you do it. But they don't then, most farmers typically, I mean, that, that, that I've seen a, a trend in the bigger farms. As, as farming gets bigger, this is different because they've actually got teams of people that do it. But I said, like, like Steph's dad was a small farmer. He farmed land for himself. I said, he doesn't, in his off season, bring that into the shed, 
take it apart, order the right parts. He just forgets that he had to do a repair in the field, and then next year he starts up, and it's again. I said, it's. I said, I'm not interested in that. I said, when I fix something, I do it right, and it doesn't matter if it takes two weeks to fix it. I don't care because I'm not waiting to get crops off the field. I said, we would approach your vehicle maintenance from completely different standpoints, and I want nothing to do with farmer fixing. <laughs> but hey, it's you know, only temporary unless it works. Yeah. But you think about that standpoint to like, okay, so in the middle of harvest, something goes wrong or they got to change a part. And then it's like, oh, and then they program it wrong. Or, or like even to use that programming and understand how that software relates to the physical components, that's stuff you need training on, right? So well, I can't, and then that's you, one way of looking at it. Here's another. And again, from the dealership's point of view, this is what they're not looking at. Got to go long game. Don't worry about 10 um, or three or four $300 repairs. Don't worry about that. Because for every one of those that you lose, because the people know what they're doing, you're going to get one $30,000 bubble repair that tried to fix it himself, and it was a $1,000 fix, tried to do it himself, now he's got to pay you. 20, 30 grand to For fix it. Yeah, yeah. Because that happens too. Um, yeah, that's very true. What the, uh, the dealership where I bought my tractor, uh, one of the mechanics there, he's an old guy. He's got two younger people that just helps him lift the heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And because he's been around that long, he knows everything. He can. He's one of those guys that you pull in a tractor. He, from the sound of it, he already knows eighty percent of what's wrong with it. Hmm. You know, must be a mill right. And <laughs> it could have been, and just brilliant. And he said, "Yeah, I'm all for that." You know, because here's what it does. Most farmers he knows in today's world, around here at least. They know what they can and can't do. And they know if they just royally mess something up, it's going to cost them more money if they'd have just taken it to the dealership to begin with. Mm-hmm. They understand those things because they're dealing with farm money. Mm-hmm. right? There's a finite amount every year. Some years is nothing and you lose money. Sometimes you make a little bit, whatever. Yep. But most farmers understand that. So... He said, overall, bottom line is not going to affect us at all. Mm. You know, probably not going to affect a lot of people. Heavy equipment is where it's going to be an issue because um, what it's going to do is have a lot of the uh, cat, Volvo, John Deere mechanics with a ton of experience quit, go into business for themselves and make the, the dealership money. Yeah on uh, doing service calls. That's what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. And But as far as ag goes, for the most part, be a zero-sum game either way. Yeah, Heavy equipment is going to affect them quite a bit. And he thinks they deserve it. But, you know, I think if I buy something, it's mine. Yeah. And you don't have a choice. You may not like it, don't care. Um and I don't. I'm not saying you got to give me anything. 
if there's tools and test equipment, I need to work on my own stuff. I have to buy that stuff. Yep. Yep. You know? And you have Just to like sell your mechanics it to me. do. Yeah. And and maybe you can charge twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand for training classes. Yep. You know, to teach mm-hmm. people. You know, if I have a fleet of equipment and now I want to be able to work on it myself, I can go to you and you can teach me how mm-hmm. for money. Yep. Get my certificate. You know, they're not looking at all the other opportunities they're going to have. Um, and since most heavy equipment are leases and not purchases yeah. outright, mm-hmm. that doesn't, that's not covered. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. So, like if, if it's leased or something, of course, but they have say you have to get a dealer certified that that seems reasonable to me because you don't own it. <laughs> exactly. You, know? you don't like, own on. it. Yeah. And most heavy equipment fleets are leases. Yeah. Because it's all, all the maintenance, everything is figured in with the lease payments. Mm-hmm. It's just one check by the mining company or whoever. And that way they always have the latest and greatest. You know, they're exactly. not trying to do. And everything what? is reliable. Yeah. It makes sense, actually, sort of. I, I sort of, I guess. You know, when I wonder with all this with heavy duty equipment and like the integration of sophisticated electronics. You know, so so when I did my apprenticeship, we worked on old diesel. And even when I worked at San Joe, like my job was to build frack units. And so we had this uh, 12-cylinder Caterpillar engine. Uh, it was about the size of a minivan. And, you know, we did all of it. Like we put the radiator on. We'd, you know, I'd put in the starter. They'd, oh, this one's going to, you know, we wire up the hydraulic starter. Uh, this, because they came with electric starters. So we'd take that out, put in a hydraulic starter. I knew those engines, but we never took covers off because they're all brand new. And, you know, there's a little a little bus there, and they once we had everything done, <clears throat> you know, we put the fuel lines on, put everything in, blah, 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 blah. They'd come in, put a computer in it, and just set the parameters. Okay, it's all good. And then we'd go test it, and they'd verify, you know, the different percentage of loads, uh, how much fuel we're using and all that stuff. And I could understand that level of intelligence right like it's all mechanical systems but it's all being slightly tweaked here and there with electronic kind of like electronic fuel injection that makes sense okay that's logical and then i'm like like how much further is technology going to go into heavy equipment and i remember when i was doing my last year at state they're talking about this new technology they're testing it in these uh, freight trucks where they had electronic valves in the diesel engines so that when they're going over the mountain pass into BC, like going over the Coca Hollow, they could adjust the timing and so that they could, you know, have way more power. And then when they're on the prairies and they get up to 120 kilometers an hour, they can detune the engine by actual valve timing. And I'm like, that's insane, right? So it's like almost like uh, solenoid valves. And I'm like, wow, is it, are we going to get to that? You know, like at what point is like, I understand if everything becomes electric, like, <laughs> which it wouldn't. That'd be the real test of whether electronic electric uh, vehicles are sustainable when you start seeing freight liners that are battery powered. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. So I don't know. It's like that. That like when I think about uh, heavy duty mechanics, I think purely mechanical. Like I think about my little tractor, my Hinimoto from Japan, uh, a twelve hundred cc two cylinder diesel, a hundred percent mechanical. Right, like the fuel injectors are mechanical, and sometimes I get an air leak in there, and I've got to crank all the things. I love that thing, and that to me is my understanding of heavy equipment. Not, not that it's big, but I'm like, okay, a diesel. I had a old dozer, um, 
shoot, I forget the model of it, but just he's like 40 years old, a diesel, you know, it had trouble starting and you could just do certain things. And it's like, I can fix that. I can understand it, everything about it. But how far is electronics going to go into that diesel engine? You know, I always wonder where it's going to go from here. And it's, it's exciting to think about. You know, you think you could have a diesel engine that you vary the horsepower, you know, by as much as 60 to 70 percent, depending on what you need. So it's like, oh, I'm climbing the mountains. Uh, I'm going to burn a lot of fuel here, but at least we can do it. And then when you compensate for it, when you're driving across the middle of Canada and it's flat as a board. Hey, shoot, I I only need like 20 percent of the power once I'm at highway speed as I did going up the mountains. It's really cool. I'm not sure. I think it's actually kind of becoming commonplace. I haven't followed that technology, and that was obviously like 20 years ago, but it's kind of cool to think where this stuff might end up beyond just fully electric everything, which I I don't think it will, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? One of the... It's a... I don't know. It's a thing. It, you don't really know what to believe unless you're in that business. Like heavy equipment operating, almost everybody that I've heard a intelligent opinion from, uh, and they have the equipment to prove it, is the small to mid-level successful you know, heavy equipment operating, excavating, all of that, Businesses, newer equipment. Some have a mix, but most of them have newer equipment. Why? Because it's more reliable day-to-day than an older iron. Yeah, yeah. When I even remember, like, even in some something as simple as a bobcat, a skid steer. So, so I've spent a lot, like, hundreds and hundreds of hours on a skid steer. I'm pretty pretty fast and pretty precise with a in a bobcat. Uh, I've rolled them. I've done all kinds of crazy things with them. But you get into the old ones. <clears throat> where it's the standard controls. And then my dad bought one. He put the gold package on it. And even so, this is probably 10, 15 years old now. But it's got the ISO controls, which is you don't have to push the levers forwards and backwards. It's all joystick controls, you know. And even going to that, so that's electric over hydraulic, whereas the the traditional ones are all just hydraulic controls, right? You're actually moving the hydraulic valves and now this one, the joystick is acting in, on the valves with solenoids and stuff. So much smoother, so much faster, so much more precise. And it, it's true when you get to that and you step into a brand new Bobcat and you fire it up. It's like, oh man, everything's tight with this. Like it's just different, right? Like I totally get that and how much more efficient they are. You know, my neighbor, when he was building our house, he had an old, old bobcat, and I drove it a few times when he needed some help, and I'm like, oh, man, this thing is a clunky, clunky thing. And then I'd bring my dads out here, and I'm like, let's just use this, and just boom, 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 it's just night and day difference. So I, I get that, you know. I've got a brother-in-law who's got a landscape company, and um, they lease everything. Um, I don't know for sure. I haven't really looked into it too much. The, the reason I question is because my parents have – made good fiscal decisions and they, they do well financially and they've never leased a single thing, like not even company forklifts. Like I, my dad just, they call it fleecing. And so I've never looked into it, but I kind of based on what I feel about them and I'm like, yeah, would I trust their financial advice? Yes. Um, if I'm just a blindly trust a few people, I'd take their advice over lots of others. But 
uh, he every two years buys all new equipment, you know, and he's got the, so he does commercial landscaping, golf courses, you know, businesses. So he doesn't have big stuff. Like he's not doing development, but he's got like the little tiny backhoes, those cute ones that everybody wants. Like I want one so bad and handyman. And like, I've never driven them, but he'll drive them and he can get in there. You know, he can pull out a rose bush that's sitting between your air conditioner and the siding of your house, go in there, yank it up. And it's like, oh, this thing, he said, it's like, it's an extension of his own body and exactly where you want it to go. It goes once you spend a little time with it, you know, and I can see that makes sense because you, you got a job to do. Okay. You want the best stuff, you know, kind of like, you know, if I'm making a knife, I want to make, I want a good grinder. I want a very precise grinder. I don't want one with a belt that kind of wobbles and it doesn't track right. And when I put pressure to it, the belt moves to one side or the other, like my homemade one did, right? You get, you get a properly made belt grinder. It's like, oh, wow, I can hog down on this and nothing changes. I get it, but you know what I always wish they did? You know, you can enter sweepstakes, like for, to support a hospital or something. You can win a Mustang or a Harley Davidson. I always wish they would have like a Bobcat or a backhoe. You know what I mean? They do. Cat Not, gives away a big piece of equipment for every couple of years. I entered the one for this year. I haven't heard anything about it. But. Huh. Like we have like a Foothills, uh, hospital, like the home lottery where you can buy a house and then, you know, you part of the package, you could win a brand new Silverado and then a boat or something. I'm like, where's the equipment? Like not heavy, heavy equipment, but <laughs> give me a mini backhoe, man. I would, I would give, I would buy a lottery ticket to support a hospital if I could possibly win a little mini backhoe, even though I don't need one at all. I'd rather have a mini backhoe than a Mustang, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I'd like to look at maybe, I don't know, it's so bloody much money, but man, I would like to build a shop out here. I think I need to make it a five-year plan and like actually like, like literally just start putting money aside for it because it would be so nice for these signs to have a little bit more room. Who knows though, this, who knows? We thought, you know, it's funny that up, coming up to this whole year, uh, like up until now, we were slower than we were the previous year. Like the Mother's Day rush of 2021 wasn't as much as the Mother's Day rush of 2020, but that probably had more to do with the fact that still there's a lot of stores closed and people were encouraged not to go out. And then we thought, okay, all the restrictions are lifted now. <clears throat> people are just shopping more in person. And it was the case up until the start of this. And so it's like, oh, every year we're like, ah, eh, we're probably not going to have a rush this year. We're probably not going to yeah, whatever. We'll we'll sell some, but it's not going to be a good good Christmas rush. But man, as it comes a point, where like how many of these signs? Like at what point have we put signs in everybody's house and they don't don't need another one? But it's all good. Oh yeah, yesterday was uh, Thanksgiving here in America. Yeah, and it was since it was just going to be us two. I decided, or we. No, no traditional nothing. Yeah. I took a nice tri-tip. Oh, yeah. Marinated in Mexican spices, grilled that thing, and had it on a mixed green salad. Oh, that'd be good. With chipotle dressing. Mm. It was very, very good. That sounds delicious. Probably one of the best steak salads I've ever had. Huh. Yeah, we uh, we eat like garbage during the Christmas rush because we're so busy. Like, and so, anyways, we went to Costco on on Wednesday and we got some of those pre-made 
Like you can buy lasagna that you bake yourself. And uh, I don't know when the last time we've ever bought anything that's like, and these are made in Costco. It's not like it's made at like Swanson's factory in New York or something, but I don't know. We're like, sometimes it's like spaghetti and some tomato sauce without meat in it. And I'm like, ah, and as fast as we can eat it, you know, it's, it's crazy. But yesterday Steph had some time. And so she put a nice roast in the oven and uh, I didn't. I had no clue she was doing this. And I came in. No, she. I think it was like six thirty. She's like supper's ready. So I come in, and it smells so good. It's a big roast with really good. Like this, is some of the best gravy she's ever done. Mashed potatoes, Yorkshire pudding, and broccoli. Like steamed broccoli and cauliflower. Oh my word, it was so good. I ate so much last night, and just to sit down and actually be like, oh, okay, we got a good meal. Oh, it's great. Oh, cauliflower, the mayonnaise of vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> You're a white hater. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're a white phobic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. We we've been having like Chinese food like once a week or something and it's not good. Like it, it is this We is haven't not found a good healthy. Chinese place in the last two places we've lived. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, we've got like in Strathmore, arguably, oh, there's four of them that I would classify as this is some good Chinese. Like I've been down to Montana, like Great Falls, and you go to a Chinese place, I'm like, mm, no, not not very good. There was but, one good one, but that was a long, long, long time ago, and it was right next to the biker bar. So, huh? <laughs> yeah, what you know? When I lived in Rockyford, like Rockyford's a town of a, a village, it's under 300 people there. Um. There's like a, a fire, little fire hall. There's a grocery store and a bank and a Canada Post, a bar with a restaurant and then a Chinese food place. And that Chinese food place was so good. It was, you know, if you think about an old truck stop from the 80s and you remember when they used to put that, it looked like shingles. It was like uh, wood on the walls, like yeah. slats. Still has that. And all the furniture that would be in there at that time, like the early 80s, like like brown and orange colorings, it's still all that. Like nothing has changed, and it is the best Chinese food. Oh, so good! And even there, it's Chinese and Western food, right? So you get a like a bacon cheeseburger. They do it right. <laughs> like they toast the, the bun just the right amount, and it's just juicy. They do like a smash burger on a flat top. Oh, it's it's crazy that this tiny little podunk town has this restaurant that was amazing. And then the bar had the best chicken wings I've ever had in my life. You know, we'd play shinny, uh, which is hockey. And it's just basically, you get a bunch of guys, whoever shows up, split the teams up, right? And it's a bunch of adult men playing hockey. You usually get ice at about 1030 at night, play till midnight, because that's the only time the ice available. And then they were, they'd close down the bar at midnight and we'd place our orders before we went on the ice. And so they'd cook up our wings, close down the bar, and then we'd just pay before the game. And they would actually, like, once the bar's closed, they'd drive their car over, go into our locker rooms, and put our chicken wings down, and then leave. And so we'd be done hockey, and we'd come in there, and there's all these chicken wings and all this beer. It was so awesome. And the best part for me is that my my house was right across the parking lot from the arena. So, you know, these guys, you know, they have two or three beers, like, oh, I better not. I got to drive home. <laughs> Like throw me another one. <laughs> I'm walking. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a pretty sweet little digs there. Kids would go. You'd see kids regularly walking through town carrying 22s, because like on the other side, in the front of my house was the farmer's field, 
Like we were right on the very edge. Again, this is a tiny little village, like tiny. And uh, man, kids would do like races. They'd do laps on all these streets on quads. Not uncommon at all to see like three or four kids just ripping around corners on their quads. It was all gravel. There's no paved roads in this town. But I'm like, it was a good place, man. It's a good place. Kids walking around. They'd just be like 100 yards outside of your front step shooting gophers in the field. I'm like, this is the good old days, you know? That's a good little place to live. Except they were shutting the school down, so that was kind of something. But get old Rockyford. Yeah, small towns had a certain charm, but some of the things that you liked about them were also the bad things about them. Yes. Yep. You know, like kids rocketing around town on quads. There was also some very, very redneck ideals in that town. And I will I would say this. There's a lot of racism. Like racism is a way of life there. Like end of story. I joined the the Lions Club because I wanted to get involved, right? And it turns out I find out that half of the people from this town are like related on my wife's side. And so I like you know, I just literally showed up and said, Can I I'd like to join the Lions Club? Oh yeah, come to the dinner at this time, this time. Show up's like, Oh, I'm I'm your Uncle Robert, you know, because they all know who we were. I didn't know them. They're all old farming community, but Man, they are some they are some racist bigots. Like, and I don't consider myself a progressive by any stretch, right? Like, I don't I don't adhere to progressive ideology, uh, pretty much at all. But man, they were racist. It was a little much sometimes. Well, I'm not sure that not being a racist should be progressive. I just think that should be normal. No, I, I know, I know, and it's <clears throat> you know what? The, but the progressives think that if you're not progressive, you're a racist. Like literally, if if you're not Woka Cola, if no. If I'm not a racist, I'm not a racist. Exactly, but you can't have it like that. If I'm intelligent. I'm not a progressive. I mean, uh, if you're not pro everything, you're anti everything. Ugh. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I'm indifferent to a whole lot. Yeah, I'm centrist or a true libertarian, right? Like the far left, I completely disagree with. The far far right, I completely disagree with. Let's get towards the middle where common sense lives, that's that's where you'll find me. That's where my, I'm at. You know, everybody should have rights and freedoms, but we shouldn't change things just because somebody else feels weird about their personal rights and freedoms. You know, like, hey, you can identify as whatever you want, but, you know, societally, we're not going to sacrifice the vast majority of number of people just to... Uh, pander to a small minority. You know, there's a story of this uh, is a woman shelter in Vancouver and they've been a woman shelter for like 15 years and there was a trans woman that wanted to come and they said, no, we, we can't do it. It's a biological male. Has a penis. Okay. Says I would need to stay in the women's shelter. They said no. The government pulled their funding they house 35 women who are seeking shelter from either poverty or domestic violence. Some of them were protected in this woman's shelter. And because one trans one trans woman who is a biological male wants to stay there and they said no, the government pulled their funding. So I believe this. If this trans woman has a right to think that, that's what she thinks, great. But you look at the percentage of the Canadian population that are trans, transgender, 
why are we making everyone else suffer for the small minority? And they're a tyrannical minority. It's incredible. It's just, and that's what that this whole postmodernism, this whole Woca Cola, my truth. You can't deny my truth. It's like, you know, you take you take it to them. Like so, with this, I'm trans vaccinated, not vaccinated, but I identify as a vaccinated. That's my truth. You can't tell me it's wrong, or else that's a microaggression, and I need a safe space. Like that's that's literally where they've got so much power. This minority, it's insane. And most people look at okay, this is a little bit crazy. Whatever, think what you want. Now here, if you take this a little, this trans a little farther, what about my trans ideals projected onto someone? So if, if in postmodernism, it's, it's my reality that matters. There's no universal truth. So that's, that's their whole foundation. So in my mind, you're not a person, you're a dog. And my mind says, identifies you as a dog. And my truth is what matters here. Oh, by the way, no dogs allowed in the kitchen. Like, like when you project this ideology a little further, if you want to know what something's about, uh, like accentuate it, right? Exaggerate it. You, you'll, it'll point you in the direction. It's just like you see an arrow pointing, okay, I don't know if this is exactly pointing at that mountain. Well, if you make it 100 feet long, you'll see exactly if it's pointing at that mountain or not. You know, so if you look at this whole, my truth is what matters, okay. Cool. That's exactly what Adolf Hitler did. It was his truth that mattered. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's a pretty damn slippery slope to be, to be walking across. You gonna start going down that road? Just project it, accentuate it, like stretch and and magnify the essence of what it is. Dude, that's some scary ideology. That's some stuff you don't want to be messing with. Especially when it has the impact that it does, you know, like local schools here, they're having a hard time deciding whether or not they need to let trans students into uh, biologically different uh, genders washrooms. Like literally, like if I identify as a trans woman, I, as a man with a penis, do I have a right to go into the woman's washroom where, you know, some, there could be young girls in there. Is that, is that a good thing to do? Is that a good thing for society? And, and this question is being asked in seriousness, which is like, are you freaking kidding me? Well, no, what's worse is the question that's being asked is, well, why isn't it okay? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you, bigot? Exactly. What? You're transphobic. No. If, no. If, you, if you disagree with that, you're transphobic. No, I'm a pedophobic. Yeah. Oh, but that's a phobic. Any phobia is bad. Well, I'm not scared of them. I'm just scared I'll kill them. Yeah. No, it's, it's, oh, pedophiles should die. Fact. Fact of the matter. 100%. Every day, all day, every day, probably twice on Tuesdays. You have a factory like a chicken killing factory. Yeah. Put them on a conveyor belt standing <laughs> up with the decapitating blade swinging around. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is hate crime, Todd. Yeah, yeah. I hate no, crime. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a you know what I uh, do. You do a lot of reading or no? Yeah, but yeah, I do. I would recommend that book. 
And I don't like he goes back to like I agree. He, he puts everything back to biology, which is true, right? You, you can't argue with it. But he thinks biology is from evolution. I disagree with that, but whatever. I his arguments are the exact same arguments that I make, except I base mine on creation. I, I believe that men and women were created di- differently, not that we evolved to be different. It's funny, he goes after people on social media all the time. And he uses a lot of satire. It was pretty funny. Um, when, like, I guess, I got to look through his YouTube. He's got a fairly popular YouTube channel. But uh, when Trump got elected, you know, everybody was saying, oh, there's going to be nuclear war. All the minorities are going to be exterminated. <laughs> and because he says he's a, he's a Lebanese Jew, he, he'd do these videos hiding under my desk. <laughs> from Trump's Jew killers and he'd do all these satire videos and he still has a channel he said I think the reason they haven't canceled me is because I'm a an ethnic minority <laughs> you know he said I can use all their uh, all their hate crime stuff against them you know I can say things about everything I want to and as soon as they come after me and be like oh you're just being mean to me because I'm from the Middle East he says I play that card all the time why not you know but well i don't know because it's wrong yeah and he goes after islam he hates islam but the weird thing is and i gotta re i gotta re listen to this book i didn't read it obviously because i don't have time to read right now but i was listening to it but he's a muslim but he hates islam and so i I don't get where he's at there i'm like this doesn't make any sense to me but you know it's interesting he talks about how it's the untouchable religion which it is Yes, like yeah, it, Judaism used to be the untouchable religion, not anymore. No, and you can make fun of Christians all the time, but if you do anything like those twelve cartoons of Muhammad, right? <laughs> like hundreds of people died from that because they they took offense to it and went on a killing spree. You know, and, and there was all kinds of stuff against Christianity, and Christians don't go out and kill everybody. And people say, oh, Islam is not a religion of hate. And then he actually goes through the numbers. Like, he's a researcher. And he said if he just goes through the numbers of, in the last 20 years, how many thousands of terrorist attacks are claimed by Islam and by Muslims. <laughs> All of them, right? He said with the exception of four that were by Christians, and those were attacks on abortion doctors from extreme right-wing activists, right? And he said, so if you look, he said, he's also a mathematician, and he says ratios are very important to explaining things. If you want to understand the world, like a two to one ratio is huge. He said a 1.1 ratio to one is very significant. A 1.3 to one is a very significant ratio in anything. He said if, if people are like, no, it's not that big of a deal. Okay. Would you like a 1.3 to one ratio on your investments? That's a big deal. You will never find it <laughs> unless you're being really risky with your money. But could you imagine that? And uh, and he he goes about the ratios. It's and and so he said you got all of essentially all terrorist attacks are Muslim or Islam. He says you're not allowed to ask why is it like I, I'm just saying why is it that they're all from Muslims? Because when I see one people group doing the same thing over and over again, or and, and it's not like all Muslims are doing it, but when every time this happens, it's from these people. You would tend to think logically that there might be something in what they believe that is violence, that cites violence. He says, but that's a forbidden question. And and to try and learn that is forbidden knowledge in universities. 
you're not allowed to ask that. You know, if it's the same as if one person walks up to you every day and hits you on the face, and one person walks up to you every day and shakes your hand, you're not allowed to say, I think this guy's mean because he hits me on the face every day and this, this guy shakes my hand. No, no, you can't say that. That's bigotry. That's racism. That's Islamophobic. It's crazy. It's just, it's maddening how, how society is so stupid, you know? Anyways, well, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's why, because I don't understand it or why it is, but it seems like white Christians are the only ones that will uh, stand up and uh, separate ourselves from another white Christian that does something bad. Yeah. You know, like Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bomb. You know, a bunch of white people come out and say, hey, we're not that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't condone that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, some Islamic terrorists blow something up. You don't hear everybody else in the Islamic community going, hey, those guys are bad. They're giving us a bad name. You know, we need to get there and stop this. And blah. Nope. They're like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Black Lives Matter runs over a city. You know, a bunch of black people don't stand up and go. That's not us. Yeah, that's not us. We're not yeah. terrorists. Yeah. It's only the whites that do it, as far as I know. Yeah. And it, it's hard to determine why. Yeah. I know what I want to say, but it's it would sound bad. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too. Like, so if a Christian says, I believe homosexuality is wrong, I believe it's a sin, right? Um. There's been no record of Christians ever assaulting or threatening or injuring homosexuals. Well, not as a religious act. Yeah. But if I say it's wrong, then all of a sudden I'm homophobic, right? And they will come out and destroy you. The social justice warriors will come out and kill you. But you've got ISIS throwing gay people off of roofs. They don't say a word. Because it's an untouchable religion. You can't speak out against Islam. Well, of course not. They'll blow you up. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's deep, deep stuff that goes on. You know, uh, Muhammad, I mean, it was Abraham's son, and so is Isaac. You know, it's, it's, it, it goes back so long ago, and Muhammad was a bastard child, right? He was a child of an affair. And... They're human beings. Uh, Muhammad is not a god. Neither is Abraham. They're human beings. And I think it was a deep-seated hatred that began back then. And in a sense, I I think that it's like the ultimate family feud. Well, it is because Muhammad was cast out. He was living in another town, didn't have the advantages of his family's for his dad's fortune. Um, or even just having his dad in his house, and his dad rejected him. And eventually, you know, he creates this false religion, and I am going to call it that, a false, fake religion, to basically build his own army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, we've covered some pretty deep stuff today, Todd. And some not-so-deep stuff. Yeah. It, was all, it was all deep. We're talking about electronic heavy equipment. From the right oh. to repair to terrorism. That's right. <laughs> That's right. 
Well, I should probably cruise because I got a bunch of woodworking. <laughs> I can't call it that. <laughs> I've got a bunch of uh, wood processing machinery to operate. That's a better way to say it. <laughs> I'm woodworking. <laughs> what you doing? The same thing about 300 times every day. Fun stuff. Back to the salt mine. Yep. I can't wait for this to be over. I mean, it's good. Like, don't don't get me wrong. I like it. This is an unst- unsustainable lifestyle. Like, if this rush was, you know, if we spread this work out over the entire year, it would be an awesome part-time job. But instead, it all happens in a matter of four weeks. You know, it's just, wow, it's intense. It's intense. And it's too bad you can't, you know, speculate on, oh, we're, I think we're going to have, we had so many in 2020, so many in 2021 orders. Oh, in 2022, let's look at, you know, 75% of that order load and during the year build up yeah. enough sign blank. We had thought about that, like that was going to be our game plan, but then it was so slow, like uh, the reg- the the for the previous part of twenty one, we're like, oh wow, it's like half as busy as it was before. So we're like, and it was kind of tapering. So like, maybe this is coming to an end. And we really was were wondering, was wondering, uh, we were wondering if it was coming to an end. And so we're like, I don't know if I really want to. Like, I don't want to end up with like seven hundred or thousand signs sitting in my basement that won't sell. And then especially, and then the price of wood went crazy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't want to buy a bunch of expensive wood. You know, like what if we wait a bit? Maybe the prices will come down. Uh, and then again, like thinking about next year, who knows what's going to happen with the market, right? But I do think, I, I think towards the end of summer, like in August next year, we'll be able to get a a better idea where things are at with the, the climate of everything. And at that point, I might be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take two days a week to build signs. Because if I did that for like two months before the rush, well, August, yeah, it'd be two months before the rush, I would have a month's worth of work done, essentially, you know? So we are going to do a little, I think, because we, we, we thought about that. We thought, yep, we're doing it for sure. 2021, we're going we're gonna to be so far ahead. And then everything was just constantly going slower and slower and slower and slower. And thought, well, maybe we're not going to do this. Turns out we were wrong, but I just need to get that crystal ball so I could look into it and know exactly how many to make for next year. I mean, at least get enough made where it's not that big a risk, but it's also not going to be that difficult to stay ahead yeah. because you have this yeah. stockpile. Yeah, if I could have even like an extra 30 signs per day, that would that would eliminate probably like two hours a day, which would be awesome, you know? Like b- finishing work at six is a lot nicer than finishing work at eight, especially when you got hockey games you want to watch. But oh man, like my wrists and my hands are sore. If, like they're they're at the point where they're sore twenty four seven now. Like as soon as I wake up, I can feel like the first year I got really bad carpal tunnel, and I I don't have it so bad now because I'm very conscious about how I hold things, and I've changed the way that I do things. But everything's sore, man. Everything's sore. Well, I'm, I walk around like an old man. So I'm looking forward to this be over. <laughs> That's funny. So do I. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> but I'm old. <laughs> I'm old too, Todd. Come on. No. Right on. Well, you're, you might be on the high end of millennial, but. No, I'm not a millennial. I, I don't identify as a millennial. <laughs>
It was pretty funny because my, um, one of my parents is predates boomer. One is a boomer. I think my brother and sister are boomers, but I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah. If you go by the years. Because when is the years? Like 80 makes me Gen Xer, right? Yeah. Tail end, very end of it. Yep, very tail end. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Because my mom is as old as my wife's grandparents, but only because she had me late. Mm. Yeah. Explains all my uh, birth defects in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Just saving all the best stuff up, eh? It was funny because uh, I was the firstborn, and then my sister was born. Mind you, they had a miscarriage before me, so I didn't like get all the cream of the crop. But uh, my <laughs> sister, my sister was born fourteen months after me, and she, she has horrible teeth, like all always cavities in every single tooth. And I never looked after my teeth, and I never have a cavity as a kid, you know. And I always I was thinking, why do I have all the cavities? I said, because I was the good stuff. Here, <laughs> what was left over? Mom didn't have time to rebuild herself back up before you came along. You don't have bad teeth. It's the evil leaking out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're like a runt of a litter, okay? <laughs> yeah, somebody asked me not long ago, my God, that you got a, such a horrible sense of humor. What is wrong with you? So my mom got pregnant at 40. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right There's on. Nothing wrong with my sense of humor except it's honest. Yeah. But yeah. <sighs> Some people can't handle the truth, right? Oh, nobody can anymore. No. Nope. But I'm transvaccinated, and that's my truth. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to our uh, our hoo-ha. <laughs> Little ridiculous truth bombs. It was good talking yeah. with you, Todd. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, and look forward to next week. Um, thanks, folks, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See you later. <laughs>